Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Happy New Year, and welcome to this year's first episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and we've got a wonderful 2019 lined up for our listeners with new segments, new guests, and new ideas. And as is the way with most things college admission, we'll of course return to annual discussion of things like the college list, summer activities, and the college essay. But for today, we get to kind of ignore all that because we've gotten past January 1st, And that means many schools' deadlines have come and gone, and we get to look forward to a brand new year, full of promise. And just like anyone else presented with a blank slate, we thought we'd take some time here today to tackle our New Year's resolutions. We're going to have a few for you. Now, we won't be talking exercise or dieting or anything else you might make a personal resolution, but we want to help you think about how you might resolve to be more on it this year as it pertains to your college admissions process. Making resolutions can mean telling it like it is, sometimes to yourself, and my first guest today is fantastic at telling it like it is. She joined our team last year and is a phenomenally talented educator. Please welcome to the show, uh, Jennifer Simons. Good afternoon, Jen. That's so sweet of you. Thank you. It's, it's nice to uh, it's nice to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So let's talk a little bit about some resolutions, and there are a lot of different ways that we can go here. Uh, there are a lot of different uh, listeners that we have, a lot of parents, some students out there. Um, I know you had some resolutions that you had sort of thought about. Do you want to start with big picture resolutions or do you maybe want to look at a particular group of students that we might uh, deal with uh, in our, our college application process? Well, I actually did want to um, start with the seniors, if there are any of them listening. If I was a senior, I would probably be so done with the college process by now emotionally that um, I don't know that I would be listening. But just in case there are any seniors out there, that means that you're not emotionally done with the process, and I want you to take a big, deep Buddhist breath and let it go to ask the universe to, you know, give you what you've worked so hard for and to just send it out there and say goodbye and try to focus on other things. It's hard. You've been really focused on this college application process, but um, now don't even count the days. Just let it go. Just, just you know, say goodbye and know that it's going to work out the way it will. It, it should. Um, so I think that that's really important. So seniors, we are thinking about you. You've just really climbed a mountain, and so now just take time to stand at the top and enjoy it a little bit. And you can do that without getting a single acceptance yet, but just let it go. Yeah, I I love that. I love that. You know, I actually wrote um, a blog post that I think was published close to the end of December around being really confident in how you manage the process no matter what the outcomes are. And, you know, this is a really big undertaking. Jen, you and I get to watch students go through this every single year. Um, a new group of students comes through and, and tackles the college application process. But that makes it no less challenging for each individual student as they actually do it. And so I, I love that piece of advice to help students to just sort of let it go and, and come back and, and, and focus on those things that are, that are really, really important to them, right? Their school, their friendships, their relationships with their parents. Um, that actually, it reminds me of a resolution that I think one of our colleagues had included um, for families uh, in, in a blog post that I'll, I'll mention here at the end of the segment. And that was uh, for families to carve out some time for some family fun. Senior year goes by in a flash. You know, you've only got one more semester, maybe about eight more months with your child in the home. And so make a resolution to have some good quality together time uh, for you parents of seniors over these next eight months uh, because then they leave, right? And they're going to come back for Thanksgiving and they'll be back for the holidays and, and you know, you'll have time to reconnect with them. But, you know, having those kids in the house, and so that's a different kind of thing. And it's it's something that you should, I think, resolve to enjoy and cherish uh, as these eight months go by. 
Absolutely, and I think that for parents of seniors, they, that they should heed um, my letting it go advice too, and not ask them, "Did you hear from wherever school today? <laughs> did you, you know, did you get the new, you know?" So just you have to let it go too, so your kids can as well. But you definitely do. has time as a family. Yeah, and that can be tough. Sometimes the kid's trying to let it go, but mom keeps bringing it up, and so it's hard to do. Um, that reminds me, actually, of a very small resolution that parents can make, which, and this is a simple one. Do not open the decision letter on behalf of your child. That is for them. Yeah. Resolve that if you, get, if you see their email and you get a letter, you just leave it aside until your kid comes home from school. Yeah, I think that's right. Give them the feeling of, 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 you know, anticipation and excitement and hopefully good news, but maybe not. And that's okay, too. That's an important feeling to have. So you want them to be able to process this. But um, so that's for seniors and parents. I think that for students that are just maybe starting to think about the college um, process, maybe even freshmen and sophomores, I think you're important here, too. A lot of the focus has been on um, upper-class students and um the college process isn't necessarily a focus yet, but I think that if this is a resolution, I was thinking about the ninth and 10th graders, and um, I think what's important, I don't know actually how to put this into the words of a resolution, so you'll help me with this, Ian, but the idea is that you're building the foundation for your house in these years, and you want to build a strong foundation. You want to do whatever you can to make sure that that foundation is going to be solid and you're going to be able to build on it um, for the next two or three years um, as you go through high school and eventually the college search process. So start to really engage in things deeply. Start to think about what you enjoy doing and what you can continue doing um, for the next two or three years, depending on um, what year in high school you're in and, and even beyond, of course. And so um, I think that it's not too late. Um, halfway through the school year, if you're in the you know American system, is a really good time to sort of evaluate, take stock. What do I love? What do I want to continue with? What can I see myself going deeper into um, as the semester, as the second semester, and the years um, progress? And so this is just a good, like, hit the pause button and reflect um, and think about what you want to do in the future. Yeah, I love that. That actually, that requires some knowledge of self, some willingness to ask questions, to be comfortable not knowing the answers to some of those questions. You know, you might say, well, what am I going to study in college and not know quite what the answer to that is? And I think that that's okay. You know, what sounds like what you're saying, Jen, is that it, it's it's really great for students to be in the process of searching for those answers, for looking for things that they get excited by, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And that should that's the process right now. That's what you should be doing, not finding, but looking. The journey is the, oh, like, oh there's some saying, and then now I'm screwing it up, but the, the, the journey is the goal, or the goal is the journey, right? Like, it's all about getting there. Yeah. You're, you're not going to look back and, and regret um, having led and examined uh, life in high school. Yeah, so I, I think a, a nice uh, resolution that goes with that, don't be in a rush, I'm not going to hurry up to be applying to college. I'm not going to hurry up to find the answers that, you know, especially if you're a freshman or a sophomore, this kind of stuff is coming and you'll start hearing about things like the PSAT and college visits and maybe you'll go on some tours with your parents. It's coming. You'll, you know, the the calendar is going to go by and you're going to find that you're in a position where you've got to, you've got to apply to college at some point, but don't be in a hurry to get there. Um, Go at your own pace. Uh, take some breaths. I think that that's fantastic advice. Um, One thing that I would I would personally love it, Ian, if all students did, and I'm sitting here looking, and I know I'm terribly old-fashioned at my paper date book, but I, I'm so excited by um, the idea of a planning system that's not um, digital that allows me the opportunity to write in handwriting and reflect um, a little mm-hmm. bit every day. I always tell prospective students, or, you know, I always tell prospective college students that no matter how, even if you're a senior, junior, whatever year you are, if you could actually find time to put an old-fashioned pen to paper and um, write about some of the things that are interesting to you in your life, um, to write about your goals and aspirations, I think there's something meaningful in doing it. So if anybody's willing to take that up as a resolution, I don't think it's age um, or or a year in high school specific, um, the idea of actually 
writing out your thoughts, visions, goals, intents um, is a really helpful thing just in life, but certainly as helpful as you get closer to the college application process. Yeah, there's there's a, a requisite patience that comes with writing things out by hand. You don't get a chance to sort of type away furiously. You've got to be a little bit more thoughtful about the word that comes next, especially when you're reflecting. Um, one of my res- my frequent resolutions, uh, personally, um, is to use a more of a paper planning system, uh, something like uh, a bullet journal, which is actually uh, something a friend of mine okay. introduced me to last year um, that I really enjoy because there is sort of a creative and artistic element that goes along with the tracking of yourself. And you have total creative control over how you're going to use it. Um, so if you want to look at something like a, a bullet journal, that can be really, really cool. Um, you can buy uh, pens um, of different colors and enjoy sort of playing with that as well. But the idea of sort of slowing yourself down and and using paper and pen, I think is, is pretty awesome. Um, My, my resolution that would sort of dovetail with that is um, to have a reading list as you go into this year, you know, pick, pick three to five books um, that you would like to read by the end of the summer and see if you can carve out some time during the school year for pleasure reading. I know that that's, that can be really hard to do, um, but it is so, so helpful in terms of taking your mind off of your studies, uh, getting in, into a new world. And, you know, for my money, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, something like David Foster Wallace or a biography of Lyndon Johnson. It can be something that is more like candy to you, um, you know, like science fiction or fantasy novels or young adult fiction. That's totally fine. But creating that habit of reading, I think, is is huge. And I see such a... Um, a connection, a correlation between students that read a lot for fun and students that do really well in the essay process of, of college applications. There is some connection there between reading a lot and writing really well. I, I 100% agree. And I think that I would even add to that news articles like the Washington Post, you know, whatever the, the you know, there are certain newspapers that I prefer, the New York Times, whatever, but also reading um, about current events. I remember my English teacher in junior year said that there was nothing, there was no better way to prepare for the SATs then. Of course, this is a million years ago um, in the vocabulary um, that was required than just reading the New York Times. And I think that that's really true. Yeah, you know, I had an economist subscription once and I would, as I read through an article, write down all the words I didn't know the definitions of and then look them up afterward. Um, And there were a lot of them. Uh, It was a great way to sort of uh, expand my vocabulary a little. and, and just uh, a few months ago, I, I my kids are now six and four, so I, I renewed my New Yorker subscription for the first time in five or six years because uh, I feel like I have time to read it. And so my resolution is to read uh, at least one New Yorker article per issue. And there's just wonderful writing in there and a lot to learn. So I, I love that recommendation of you don't have to always be reading books. If, if articles are more your speed, that's a really great suggestion as well. What about the cartoons? Do you think that students, I'm just kidding, that was a joke, but um, <laughs> I, I was very worried, actually, that you were going to say that you were going to read to your young children a New Yorker article the New Yorker. before bed. That, that scared me a little bit. Yeah, one article before bed, That's that makes bedtime an hour and a half. Reading those things a lot would, would take <laughs> well, quite a bit of time. Well, it time an hour and a half. They, they would actually fall asleep, I think, before you got, you know, so it is actually that's maybe a good um, strategy. Yeah. But they would be so smart, right? Um, I want to let's talk about the the students that are sort of that are kind of on the edge of their seats as it pertains to this process, right? We talked about seniors who've who've gotten through it, freshmen and sophomores. Take your time, be a little bit, um, you know, at a pace that's going to work for you. But juniors, juniors are now sort of entering the sweet spot, the period where college applications become a big part of their lives. Uh, what are resolutions for students to think about? in their junior year as they gear up for this, uh, getting ready for, for this year. Yeah, this is, you said it best, the sweet spot, right? So the time is now, and I don't think that it's too early. I know this is going to sound crazy, but just looking ahead, I think now is the time to start thinking about the summer. Um, I know, again, it seems like a long way away, and if you're here in, in you know, the East Coast and it's cold, it's hard to think about that, but don't squander the summer 
um, before your senior year. So right now, you should be sort of making a timeline for yourself of how am I going to handle everything that I have to do, including the college search process, the college application process, and get as much done as I possibly can before school starts again senior year because it's going to be here before you know it. And senior year should be your most challenging year academically just based on the courses that you're taking. And if you also have to add the, you know, application process to it and maybe even another standardized test taking, you know, um, it's going to be really, really busy um, with all your extracurriculars. So you want to front load as much as possible. So this is the time, first of all, to start thinking about what activities um, or what activity you want to do the summer before your junior year, excuse me, senior year and planning for it right now. And then also making sure you leave yourself enough time um, leading up to the summer and during the summer to really get as much as you can done before you go back to school. So you are going to, you know, thank yourself. You're going to say, oh, thank goodness I I thought about my future self and I did as much as I possibly (laughs) can now because there'll still be, you know, things to do, but the more you can get done, the happier you'll be. That's I, I think that's that's great advice. You don't want your future self coming back and getting mad at you. Um, they're, they're, that person will be very pleased with you staying on top of things. And you know, I, th- I think you know the the resolution that I would have uh, for students that are entering this process, and this is going to be a tough one, uh, is is to resolve not to care what anybody else thinks. Wow, um, that's great. That's great. This is a tough, tough, tough time, I think, especially at schools that are really competitive. we got other students talking about where they want to go to college. And, you know, you often see students that create college lists based on rankings or what other people think of the schools they've chosen. But you're the one that has to go to that school. You're the one that's going to enjoy that academic experience. And so it, it doesn't matter. It's hard to imagine, but it doesn't matter two or three years from now what the other kids in your high school class think of where you're going to college. Uh, what's going to matter is the experience that you have. And so it can be very hard uh, to tune a lot of that noise out. But if you can sort of stay in your lane and keep focused on what your goals are, what your priorities are, what you care about, uh, you're going to find that this is such a, a more fulfilling and rewarding process at the end of the day. Um, so th- that sort of is where that's that's the last little piece I would give uh, for juniors. Are there any other little things you wanted to add, Jim, before we, we close out uh, the segment? I, I think that just what you said um, right now, I would also have parents pay attention to that and not it's yeah. the same thing for juniors, but it's also for parents. Don't compare your child to other you know kids. Don't say, oh, I should have done this. It's not personal. It's not about you as a parent, and it's not about how your son or daughter is in relation to other um, students. They are their own, you know, person, and you've done the best that you can up until that point, and then you also, again, we're going to come full circle. Um, Let it go. Don't compare, and, you know, do as much as you can right now to sort of prevent the massive, you know, uh, boatload of work uh, during the senior year because that's really intense. That's right, Jen. Uh, well, I want to thank you. That's all the time we have for today. Maybe we can have you back next year in 2020 to talk about whether these resolutions were successful or not and, and, and reflect back on 2019. But I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, I, I hope you'll have me back before 2020. But thank you so oh, much. Yeah. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, definitely. And and folks, one final resolution that you can definitely keep is to resolve to read the College Coach blog at blog.getintocollege.com. It's got great stuff for you to read and digest every single week, including an article this week on New Year's resolutions. How about that synergy, guys? Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about interviewing for scholarships. If you or someone you know is up for a big interview with a panel this spring, you won't want to miss it. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, we've spoken before on Getting In about the college interview and how best to present yourself in a one-on-one setting. You wear something nice, you engage warmly, you ask interesting questions, and you give a nice thank you and a handshake on your way out the door. But what happens when you're sitting before a panel, when you're being questioned by faculty in a group setting? That's something completely different, isn't it? Uh, Today, we want to spend some time talking about this kind of panel interview experience, especially as it pertains to scholarship programs. And joining me for the conversation is my old pal who moved from USC to the NYC, Emily Toffelmeyer. Hey, Emily. Hey, Ian. How are you? I'm doing fine. And uh, I, I feel like we should have like five hosts asking you questions today, just in the spirit of this segment. Um, you know, <laughs> give you a panel interview. But I guess we'll make do with, with just me. Um, and <laughs> you, <laughs> I'd like to start uh, just with a description of what exactly we're talking about. I think this might scare some families that are saying, well, panel interview, what? I, I didn't know that was part of the process. What is it that we're talking about when we talk about group interviews or interviews for uh, specialized scholarship programs? Sure. So this will usually be for pretty substantial scholarships. Um, you know, some scholarships, they're sort of just automatically given to you a few thousand dollars here and there. Uh, but these will be pretty big programs. Like when I worked at USC, we did these interviews and overnight programs for scholarships that were up to a full ride. So there was quite a lot of money on the line. And so that's why we did want to meet the students in person to make sure They were as great in person as they had been on paper, and this usually entails not just a one-on-one interview like you might have done before, a little more stressful. There usually is going to be a panel, often consists of an admission officer, a current student, and maybe a faculty member, so just a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah, so in that setting... Um, now, I guess before we actually get into the room where the interview is happening, this is usually a part of some sort of event in many cases, right? There, that, that candidates can be welcome to campus to uh, participate in these, and it's it's part of usually a one or two day kind of a, a recruitment experience uh, in a way. Because even if a student's not selected for the scholarship, they still want them to attend the institution ultimately, right? Exactly, and even if you don't get a scholarship that we offer because sometimes that doesn't happen. If you interview, you know, not everybody's guaranteed to get the scholarship. That's the whole point of the interview. We still want you to walk away with a warm feeling about the university and have had a positive experience. And yeah, it is partially recruitment. Like we want you to be impressed by the campus and the people that you meet. Um, And it's usually a two-day program. So there's information sessions, there's tours, there's social events, there's dinners and lunches. And then, of course, the interview. And it's important to note that all of this is really part of the process. The interview is the most important part, but at all times, it's almost an evaluation process. There are people around the students who are taking note of how they're interacting, how they're behaving, um, and you know how they how, how they would be if they were actually on campus as a student. So, I, uh, and I want to come back to that a little bit about the the kind of 
ongoing evaluation that's happening for these candidates when they're visiting. But let's let's get back in that room. So you said typically you've got a staff member, usually from the admission office, I would guess, um, a faculty member and a student. Um, what does that dynamic look like in terms of having three different constituencies uh, represented in that room? And, and how are their questions complementary uh, or different uh, from, from one another? Sure. So having both served on these panels and been a person who coordinated the panels and put them together and then later reviewed the notes from the panels, um, I'll say when I served on a panel, I felt as the admission officer, I was kind of the, the moderator of the group because it was my job to keep in check the current student and the faculty member who are two very different types of people. So you have a very young, enthusiastic person who's asking some questions of the applicant. You have the professor who probably is getting a little intellectually specific and maybe expecting a level of answer uh, that wouldn't necessarily be coming from a high school student. So I think you'll find if you're in one of these panels, the admission officer or advisor who's there is probably like your best friend on the panel who's going to maybe rescue you if need be from some of the harder questions that might be thrown your way. Um, So I think the student has to be ready for those three very different audiences. So you said that you're sort of reining in the enthusiasm a little bit. Um, what do you find are, are things that, that students tend to be interested in? And how can a, um, an interview candidate sort of be on guard or be prepared for these things? I think, you know, often we get asked questions about how do I get ready for this kind of a panel situation? Um, and it, it's hard to say what those questions are going to be and how to prepare. Um, how do how do candidates kind of think about getting ready for this um, you know, this, this opportunity? I think the person you really need to be prepared for is the faculty. Um, I think the student, the current student questions are more softball questions, uh, maybe things like, you know, what are you like in the classroom or how would your friends describe you? What are some things you want to be involved in on campus? So stuff you should be prepared for, but nothing I think that's going to stress you out too much. But the faculty you know, if you apply for neuroscience, they're going to expect you to get pretty nerdy about neuroscience. Like you need to know what you're talking about, not at a PhD level, but you still need to be able to engage on the basics, maybe be able to talk about some recent developments in the field. And you also need to show that you've done your research, not just on the university, but on that specific department. One, mm-hmm. show that you are genuinely interested and know your stuff. But two, I mean, it's kind of an ego boost to the professor if they know that you were spending some time on their departmental research website. That's right. That's right. And and that's not usually something that you would ever get in a one-on-one interview for general admission to a school. You're not expected to be an expert in a particular topic. Um, you are sort of being assessed for fit for the school overall. This is a case where you do have to have a little bit more preparedness as it pertains to that that subject. And I think that's exciting. It's, it's again, it's a way for you to learn more about the school. It is, a, to some degree, is a recruitment advice, uh, device for the college because you have to actually go and research that neuroscience program and maybe learn more about it, and that might might create some greater appeal for you. Um, so, so those are things that you can do to sort of get ready for the interview in the room. Um, now, outside of the interview, you talked about there's an information session. Um, there might be something like an overnight stay. Um, who are the people, who are the sort of the stakeholders that are connected to this process outside of what's taking place in that room? Sure. I would say it's primarily actually current students along with the admission staff. So you typically start these programs by you know, checking in with the admission staff, maybe attending a breakfast, going to some information sessions. And when you're checking in, you're given a name tag. So you're walking around all day with everybody knowing who you are. So if a current student or an admission officer spots you, maybe engaging in some less than great behavior, like being inattentive, looking at your phone a lot, not engaging with others, sort of being rude or dismissive, uninterested, that's not gonna that's not gonna go in your favor. Um, and I bad. think with the current yeah. students especially, they're really on guard for this stuff because. They see you not just in these situations with adults. They're going to see you in the dorm room and the dining hall at the student-only social events. And, you know, we don't tell them, those current students, we didn't give them instructions, hey, tattle on any of the students, but we told them, hey, if you see anything that makes you have doubts about this person being on our campus or about their character, then you should feel comfortable coming and telling us, telling us all about that. 
Yeah, and it's it's important to note that that students are very protective of their institution. You know, they they went through this process of applying to a college, choosing a college, ultimately enrolling there, um, and then they start to really connect with it. It's a place that they become really proud of, and so. You know, I I often found when I was working at Reed that students had very high standards for who was going to be joining their community, whereas as admission officers, we were a little bit more comfortable saying, you know, they might grow into it. They'll learn to be a part of this community. Students are more like, could this person be my friend and contribute to my class right now? Um, And so, you know, keep that in mind as you're going through this. You're not being tested, but you are being sort of evaluated by, by students who the admission office is going to trust because they are student workers. And that's true here. I think it also can be true in some cases for just a generic visit to a campus um, outside of a a scholarship process like this. Um, Emily, I wanted to ask you about, this is obviously a competitive process, um, sort of getting one of these scholarships being evaluated. You said at the outset, not everybody gets one. That's why there is an interview process. Um, How does a student sort of think about their competition? Um, How should they interact with them? Are they uh, competitors? Are they collaborators? What's the advice around interacting with that group? Definitely collaborators. Um, So one of my roles when I was coordinating this process is I would sometimes be the person at the check-in table when the student arrived for their interview, you know, in their little blazer, nervously sweating, grasping a bottle of water, and I would check them in. And then they would go and sit down alongside other applicants, and they didn't know who I was. They didn't know that I was necessarily a decision maker in this process. So they would just kind of be themselves in the lobby, and I have to admit, I was kind of spying on them in the lobby. I was looking at the way they were interacting with others. I appreciated it when a student came out of an interview, sat back down to gather their thoughts, and another student said, hey, how did it go? And if that student actually offered constructive advice to the other student, I love to see that, to show that they were empathetic, contributing, trying to help out another student. Right. That sort of sharing piece. You know, you hear that um, it's sort of a wives tale about students ripping pages out of books in the library so that their um, fellow students couldn't find the answers, right, in like the, the hyper-competitive environments. Um, you know, college admission officers don't like those kinds of stories and don't like those kinds of students. And so they are looking for, you know, opportunities to help others. This is not... I mean, it is a competitive process, um, but it is something where you're going to be a part of a community um, and understanding that and, and the role that community plays in your education, I think, is is really critical. Uh, and it shows a good deal of, of maturity, I think, to connect with other students in a more collaborative, curious way than to sort of close yourself off and, and treat it really like a, a competition at its core. Um, and, and I think that at smaller colleges, like where you worked, you know, even when it comes to just the regular visits and tours, you guys are probably observing students in that way, too. At USC, we had much larger crowds, so we couldn't always do that. But I feel like at the smaller liberal arts colleges, even in a regular info session, were you kind of keeping tabs on what was going on? All the time. All the time. Um, you know, and it's not like I was watching everybody in the room and would come out and give them all a ranking. But if I saw a student that was routinely paying attention to their phone while they were in a presentation that I was giving, um, that I would come back and, and ask our visit team, you know, who was that student and, and maybe make a note um, in their file. Uh, we routinely had tour guides that would come back and if they had somebody who was particularly rude to them uh, during the tour, they would let us know. And then, you know, we hired those students. We trusted those students. They went through a rigorous um, group interview process where we had six of our uh, staff members asking them questions. So we really trusted their perspective. They were sort of the the best of the best in terms of our, our candidates. And so if, if you were rude to them, I think that that was a real, a real problem. Um, and then there was the overnight stay. And the overnight stay, we had, you know, three male dorm hosts, three female dorm hosts um, that would, uh, you know, you would stay overnight in their room on campus. And they occasionally would report back if something really went sort of off the rails, um, you know, in terms of that overnight stay. And I think, that's a thing to keep in mind as well. Once the day is over and everybody sort of has gone home, all the staff members have, have left campus, um, it's not really time to sort of cut loose um, and, you know, imagine that the lid is off, right? Um, that's something that can ultimately come back as well and affect the, the scholarship selection process. Oh, yeah. I saw that firsthand. We had students who did a wonderful job in the interview, but 
ruin their chances by having really poor judgment in the evening uh, that was reported back to us by current students. So definitely just be on your best behavior because if you're there for 36 hours and have hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line, like it says a lot about your judgment that you can't just control yourself for that short period of time. Yeah. What was that euphemism that you used? Poor choices in the evening. I think that that's like, a, that, that's great. That's as far as we needed to go. <laughs> that sounds like, like something from a 1950s movie. She makes poor choices in the evening. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you don't want that to be on your reader card uh, when it comes time for scholarship selection. Poor choices in the evening is a, a basic. <laughs> that's the name uh, of my new band. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, anything else, any sort of final tips that you would give students as they think about these? I, I think that, you know, often it can be really exciting to be offered this opportunity. Um, I had a student last year that was invited to a campus to uh, interview for this, and she ultimately was not selective for that scholarship she had interviewed for, but got another one that was quite generous. Um, and uh, it, it actually was what helped her decide to attend. She was like, this This is great. I really like the students I met here and I, I think this would be a great fit for me. But when she got the invitation, she had no idea what to expect. Um, anything else that you might give students as they're sort of keeping an eye out for those invitations and, and um, maybe taken, being taken by surprise when they get one? Yeah, well, I think even if it's a school that might not be your top choice, I think if you get any type of invitation like this, you should take advantage of it. Because at USC, I definitely met students who we'd invited for the big full-ride scholarship interview who they were considering other schools. And USC maybe wasn't their top pick, but by the end of that overnight stay, they had been completely swayed. They totally changed their mind, and they came to USC with this great scholarship and were really happy. So I think keep an open mind and also... We tell this to students all the time when they interview, but you do just need to be yourself and let your personality come out because the biggest letdown for every panelist is when you see a sparkling application with such a great personality and then the student walks in and none of that translates in person. And usually it's because of nerves or because of a feeling that you have to overly formalize yourself for the process. So don't do that. You do need to let some of yourself shine through even when you are nerding out about neuroscience. That's right. And it's a great reminder that you were chosen as a candidate for this because of what you put forth in your application, because of who you are and how you showed uh, that to the admission office. So be confident in that, right? That's You were chosen for a reason. You, you belong there in that group. Um, and just keep being yourself on through to the end. Um, Emily, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk this over with us. And uh, I'll, I'm already looking forward to the next time you come back on the show. Oh, thanks, Ian. Have a happy holidays and happy new year. Yeah, Happy New Year. All right, y'all, when we come back, uh, we'll be discussing a little investment vehicle called the Roth IRA and how one might use it to pay for college. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the show. Now, before we get into the final finance segment for today and the first one of the new year, I'd like to turn to our school spotlight. Today, it's Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. The 2,000 students at Rhodes College are lucky to have the best of both worlds, a beautiful wooded campus with easy access to a major metropolis and the home of blues, Memphis. As one of the colleges that changed lives, Rhodes provides a tremendous variety of hands-on opportunities for experiential learning. 80% of students come in some form of community service. Service, uh, 75% complete an internship, and 65% study off-campus. The college offers over 40 majors in a range of liberal arts and science disciplines, including biochemistry and molecular biology, music, and urban studies. Music is popular on campus, and, and students can get involved through a variety of performance groups and ensembles. Next year, perhaps, you'll find yourself in the Women's Chorus, the Rhodes College Orchestra and Wind Ensemble, or the World uh, the World Drum Ensemble. While Rhodes students are diverse, over 70% hail from out of state and approximately 30% are multicultural or international, it's interesting to note that about 50% of students join a Greek organization. Fun fact, each semester during exams period, faculty and staff volunteer to make blueberry and chocolate chip pancakes for students needing a snack and a study break. And that has suddenly made me very, very hungry uh, but we've still got time here to uh, talk about financial aid and paying for college before uh, I get to go off and have some lunch. So please welcome uh, to the show uh, my colleague way out east, Beth Feinberg Keenan. Hey, Beth, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ian. So we are going to talk today about the Roth IRA, which I'm really interested in learning a little bit more about. Um, my wife and I both have Roth IRAs, but we don't have kids that are close to college age yet. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about it as a vehicle for paying for college. So for those of us who are not familiar with the Roth, um, can you tell us a little bit more about this type of investment vehicle? Sure. So the Roth IRA is an individual retirement account, which allows individuals to set aside after-tax dollars. So that's one important thing to keep in mind. It's after-tax dollars. Mm -hmm. And it's a specified amount each year, so $5,500 or $6,500 based on your age. And the the biggest benefit is once you're 59 and a half or older, uh, withdrawals of the earnings are tax-free to the account owner. So that's a um, a big benefit of that account. Now, what are the advantages to using a Roth to pay for college? We usually hear about it as a a way of retiring for an individual, but why and how can it be used um, in this college payment process? So the biggest tax benefit is really on the back-end side with the Roth. So as long as the account's been open for five years or longer, and the account owner is going to be 59 and a half or older when they're paying for college, uh, they're going to have tax-free use of the earnings. So this is a vehicle that I really like because I'm one of those older parents. I'll be in my 60s when I'm paying for college for my daughters. And, you know, it gives that account owner a lot of flexibility. So if they're 59 and a half or older, uh, they can use that account really for anything, not just those qualified education expenses. Uh, They can use it for tuition fees, but they can also use it for things like transportation. Uh, They can use it for personal expenses for their children. So there's a lot more flexibility, but it's really that benefit of that tax-free use at that magic age of 59 and a half. So that is a magic age, at least as it pertains to the Roth IRA. And I imagine it a magic age in its own way as well. Um, But what about parents who are not going to be 59 and a half when their kids are are off in college? Can they still use those Roth IRAs to pay for college? And that's a great question, Ian, because I think that a lot of, you know, individuals and a lot of parents who open up Roth IRAs open up that account even prior to having children. And they might not even realize that they could use this type of account to pay for college for their children, you know, whether they're going to be of that magic age or not. But they can. One of the things with the Roth is there's something called an order and rule of distribution. And you might be thinking, well, what's an order and rule of distribution? What does that mean? I am. I am thinking that. (laughs) So what you have to think about is when you have your... Um, when you have when you establish the Roth IRA, you are making after tax uh, contributions, right. and then you have your bucket of earnings. So, with the order and rule of distribution, that means that you actually are going to withdraw your um, contributions first before you even tap into your earnings. Uh, 
So for parents who are not going to be 59 and a half or older when they're paying for college, well, one strategy is, is you use your earnings. You only use your contributions. So if you've been depositing $5,000 for you know, 10 years, then you have access to $50,000 of contributions. That's the money that you put into that account, and you can use that for college. And really depending on how close you are to 59 and a half, if you have younger children, uh, some families that I work with um, or I speak to, um, they indicate, you know what, we have younger children. We'll use the contributions for our older children. Uh, we'll use the earnings for our younger children because they're going to be, quote, unquote, I guess an older parent at that point in time where they'll have tax fees to those earnings. Other strategies, you know, some families decide, you know what, we'll borrow some loans. Mm-hmm. We'll take out loans in the short term. And as soon as our children graduate, maybe a year down the line, maybe two years down the line, that's when they're going to hit 59 and a half. And they're going to use the earnings that have accumulated to pay down or pay off those loans. So Mm. really the worst case scenario is if you decide to exhaust all of your contributions and all of your earnings prior to the age of 59 and a half, you're going to be responsible for paying taxes on the earnings. Right. So you have, you, know, you, have some, you have some options. Um, so families really can weigh, you know, what makes the most amount of sense to them. Do we pay the taxes on the earnings? Do we hold off in using the earnings? Do we use it for other children in the future or something else, maybe for retirement? Yeah, and, and I wanted to sort of ask, you know, there's, there's this sort of withdrawal process that's happening. You take out, um, whether it's the contributions or the earnings with the taxes, um, that becomes income, right, in that tax year. So h- how does that affect FAFSA and what a family is going to qualify for? Um, does it potentially affect their eligibility for aid if they're pulling money out of a Roth? It can. It definitely can um, impact. Um, the, it can impact future financial aid in upper class years if a family is taking money out of a Roth IRA. But it's only the earning portion that is going to impact the FAFSA. So if a family decides that they're only going to take out the contributions, then there's no impact on the FAFSA at all. But if they're also withdrawing the earnings, then that is actually being reported as untaxed income on the financial aid application. So a couple things that a family needs to actually keep in mind. If they do find themselves in that situation, then what I always recommend a family does is they actually reach out to the college. Uh, They let the college know that their income is inflated because they actually took a withdrawal from a Roth IRA and that additional income that they're seeing on their taxes is not real earned income. So the college can use professional judgment, evaluate the change in circumstance that the families explain to them, and they can opt to remove it from the income side of the formula and move it to the asset side of the formula. So it would actually help the family and have less of an impact on the financial aid in that, you know, in that upper class year. The other thing, Ian, that a family could do too is think about timing. You know, maybe they have enough contributions that they could actually just take out the contributions in the freshman and sophomore year of college, you know, really the first two years of college. And then they're going to start dipping into the earnings in the last two years of college. Because since the FAFSA is using prior, prior year information, tax year information two years back, the earnings that are being taken out in those years are never going to be reported on the financial aid applications. So there are some workarounds. So there's some really interesting timing possibilities here. It could be timing around 59 and a half and how those earnings are taken out around that particular point in your life. Or there might be some timing that's associated with the FAFSA policy and how they use this prior prior year process. Now, one thing that I'm sort of wondering around the Roth is whether there are any tax breaks um, that come from using the Roth IRA um, that maybe are another incentive for wanting to use this particular vehicle. And we get that question quite often that, you know, individuals often ask us if there's any type of tax breaks, especially when they're thinking about, well, there's also this 529 college savings plan uh, that they've also heard of and, you know, using that to pay for college or to save for college. 
And unlike the 529, there are no additional tax breaks. Uh, the benefit is really the tax reuse of that money at 59 and a half. So there's nothing additional that a family is going to be able to write off on their taxes uh, when it comes to filing their income taxes uh, during that tax year. Now, I wanted to ask you, because I, you know, the two things that I hear sort of in parallel, uh, the Roth IRA, the 529, um, there are some similarities between the two um, in terms of being able to withdraw contributions without any kind of penalty and, and what the penalties may be for, for earnings. Um, if someone is sort of thinking about a Roth versus a 529, um, what's, the, what's the reason to choose the Roth? over a, a 529 in that case. So one of the benefits of the Roth IRA is the flexibility, that it's not necessarily yeah. tied to qualified education expenses, especially the contribution piece, if they're mm-hmm. going to be, you know, if they're under the age of 59 and a half. But if they're going to be over 59 and a half, I think it's the biggest thing is it really just gives you flexibility uh, that you don't have with the, with the 529. With the 529, you know, you have to use that account for qualified education expenses. If not, you're going to be hit with that uh, taxes and penalty on the earnings. After right. the age of 59 and a half, with a Roth IRA, you really can use it for anything. You could use it for retirement. You could use it for a family vacation. You can use it for education. It's not really tied to any one particular thing, and there's no taxes or penalty how, depending on how that individual account owner you know, uses the account. With the Roth IRA, it's really tied to the account owner. They don't designate any beneficiary to that account. So it's not tied to your son or your daughter. That it has to be used for them for higher education in the future. Gotcha. So you've got, with the Roth IRA, you can spend it on a lot of different kinds of things. That 529 has to be a, a qualified educational expense. And you know, I always think about, we had just talked with Emily about scholarships in the last segment. And, you know, if your student gets a scholarship, then you can use that Roth IRA money for other things, but you can't then use that 529 for that student. It could transfer to another family member, but there is that nice flexibility, I think, that comes with uh, the Roth IRA. Um, we have exactly. about, exactly. we've got about 30 seconds or so. Are there any other sort of final drawbacks to consider as it pertains to the Roth IRA as a, an investment vehicle for college? You know, not necessarily for college, but, you know, if a family is looking at their resources to pay for college, to pay for retirement, pay for themselves for retirement, I think one of the biggest drawbacks for using a Roth to pay for college is if this account is really earmarked for retirement, then withdrawing from it to pay for college or other expenses is going to be reducing down their retirement investments and potentially delaying their ability to retire in the future. Right. So you're you're sort of robbing from Peter to pay Paul almost in that you you drawing down that account. And that means that you then have to build up your retirement again before you get that chance uh, to, to to retire. Um, good reminders throughout and, and really helpful stuff. Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to talk us through the, the Roth IRA today. Thanks, Ian, for having me and have a wonderful um, holiday with your family. Yeah, thank you. And and, uh, we look forward to having you back real soon. Well, uh, that does it for our show today. We hope you've learned a lot about the topics we've presented and that you'll continue to join us through the rest of 2019 for more conversation. I'll be back in the hosting chair next week to tackle three new topics with our guests, planning a career in the performing arts, how to find the societies that are worth joining and the ones that definitely aren't, and tax breaks for higher education just in time for you to start thinking about your taxes. It's that time already. Until next time, have a wonderful January and enjoy this brand new year. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.